Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 174, episode 2 of Dear Daily Zeitgeist, yeah! a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. It's Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Do brings my sperm countdown right down. Never go to pound town because it's so down. Do brings the western sperm countdown. Like children of men, we're all going down, down. That is courtesy of Abstrusel, the official dickhead. Uh, there's so many on Twitter. Uh, what an honor to have the official, uh, the blue check mark of dickheads, uh, providing AKAs and. Yeah, that was. I'm. I'm shocked it didn't occur to us when we were talking about uh, the West's lowering sperm count. That uh, Mountain Dew is probably the culprit. Yeah. Uh, I am thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. Don't go chasing FOMO. Please stick to the people and the pause that you're used to. I know that you're gonna fuck around and find out, but Cuomo, you're just moving too fast. What's up with outdoor dining? <laughs> um, thank you to the interdimensional technician for that one, because yeah, a lot of governors are just ready to fucking, I don't know, set the clock back to January 2020 or some shit. Uh, so that uh, is a little frightening. Uh, I think a poet once said that, uh, or I think the T.S. Eliot or uh, the guy who wrote Great Gatsby, one of them said that America has no second acts. American life has no second acts. And I think uh, America fucking around and finding out has doesn't have the find out part. They just fuck around and then everybody looks the other way while they find out. Um, yeah, it's it. We're people just ignore the finding out. Part. <laughs> exactly. no, 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 we're not finding out. We're not finding out. We're not finding out. We're not finding out. No, no, no. We're not finding out at all. Uh, well, we are thrilled to have in our third seat one of the classic guests, the hilarious, mm. the talented Chelsea Weber Smith. Whoa! <laughs> Happy to be here. I don't have Happy a song. Too have you happy yeah. to be here great to have you we back. are going to speak like this the whole time uh what what's new in your world chelsea what is new in my world um i've prepared a couple rants for you guys uh, when the time Love comes okay. when i get to have my personal time um <laughs> so <laughs> until then as usual I'm, I'm going on walks i the most important event in my life is i found a yearbook from 1970 and i've been really like figuring out the relationships between the different characters in this uh, yearbook <laughs> and, you know, the right. queen bee finding out who her boyfriend is. There's a lot of information in this book and uh, looking them up on uh, social media. So just another quarantine <sighs> uh, Yo, project. That's a sick. It's idea. a yearbook with the inscriptions. There are no. Um, it was, I figured out that it was like a teacher's or the assistant uh, principal, some old ass dude, got it. how this 1970 yearbook from, uh, New Mexico got on the ground in West Seattle is 
Right. A very cool mystery, but right. otherwise, tragically, there are no but you're uh, just, inscriptions. Uh, yeah. You're getting the interpersonal uh, information mm-hmm. yep. from just like yearbook quotes and shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I mean, they're, they're writing up like, you know, she was the town princess. I don't remember the name. <laughs> She's the town princess going, you know, going steady with, you know, whoever. And uh, you can really trace uh, sort of the social scene that was happening there. And we've got this amazing emo kid who had like an original swoop and oh, which wasn't really a popular hairstyle. Yeah, I don't think in nineteen seventy. Oh yeah. Oh, it was feathered and or it was just yeah, it was all Mop feathered. Top. <laughs> yeah. Mop top. But yeah, this kid was like the you know, the school newspaper editor and right. went on to have this amazing quote that was like, he went on to be a psychology major. I looked them up in the newspaper, all these old newspapers. Wow. Yeah, it was so fun. And, uh, you know, he said something like, I should have gotten it, but he said something like he was going to be a psychology major. So he was interviewed in the newspaper for that. And uh, he said, <laughs> you know, I love watching people and, you know, I can really understand people by watching them, but I'm different. No one can understand me. <laughs> and I was like, man, wow. high school is the same. It's because <laughs> he was presaging the dawn of reality television. Yeah, right. absolutely. You know what I mean? That's what, <laughs> yeah. like how I say, like, I like to watch people and learn through trash TV. But right. I did Stance find me. this person, y'all. I yeah. did find this person. You did? On, mm, well, I think I did. You know, okay. I, I did a pretty, I've been watching a lot of Catfish, so I did a pretty yeah. <laughs> intensive dive into this. Thorough and, legal uh, stalking. Yeah. Guess what? <laughs> gay writer. Gay author. Oh, hell yeah. Beautiful. Oh, Just a great, a great uh, yeah. plot arc for, for our emo kids. So that's really all I've been this doing. Sounds like, this sounds like a spinoff <laughs> show from Starly Kind, which is right. grab a random yearbook and then yeah. start putting the pieces together and then verify with the people you can track down. That was what I was hoping to do, but so far nobody's responded oh. to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, this would be a great podcast. And then, Well, know. here, I'll, I'll throw you one, uh, some, one from like one of my high school. I'm sure all those Hit people it. will talk to you. What um what is there anything surprising like about the styles or like who what people were into at that time? I mean, it's pretty it's pretty boring, you know. It feels pretty like straight up. yeah, it's yeah. pretty straight. It's like very fifties, even though it's nineteen seventy. You know, it's right. just kind of like prim and proper. But there's like some there's oh there's a great part where <laughs> they talk about going to an orphanage to like do some sort of. Uh, volunteer work. Um, I don't know which group it was. It was some sort of, you know, an after school group. But all they did, they went to this orphanage and all the little section said was that they gave orphans a stuffed mouse and it seemed to be a singular stuffed mouse. They gave That's it a whole... It. <laughs> <laughs> it, did, it was mouse. It wasn't mice. Right. So I don't oh, no. know if there was just a singular mouse. We went to orphanage and give mouse. <laughs> it, that was pretty much the article. Oh. <laughs> it was bizarre. It's bizarre. I feel like the stuff I read about the 60s and 70s um, when people are doing like myth debunking, it's usually that the kind of what you just alluded to, that it's like more square and more like 1950s than uh, the popular imagination remembers because everybody was focused on like hippies and the anti-war movement and then like disco and like those things were sort of uh subcultures that were on the outskirts and everybody else like a lot of the other people just had like uh the same haircut and um you know 
the the number one song during the Vietnam War period. The best illustration of this that I can think of is uh, was not anything by Creedence Clearwater Revival. It was uh, "Honey, Honey, Sugar, Sugar, You Are My Candy Girl" by the Archies, by mm. by by Archie as a musician. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess looking back, what the myths will bust is like, look. Only some of us were eating ass and into QAnon. Right, back then. exactly. <laughs> <And into Q laughs> Not everyone. It wasn't yeah. just that ass-eating conspiracy fest. Okay, some people have work not? to do. Yeah, I mean, but see, it all depends. <laughs> and see, that's where we start getting into nuance. But I think overall, this uh, I, I'm sure I'll tell my kid this is not a good outfit for your 2020s dress-up day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right, Chelsea. We're gonna get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, couple of things we're talking about today. Uh, we're going to talk about America's two-facedness uh, mm. being all over the place. Uh, we're going to talk about Trump's CPAC appearance, uh, which was kind of kind of quiet, subdued. We'll talk about Gab continuing our right-wing uh, social media deep dive, uh, but but there's not that much depth. It's just a pretty shallow. This place is not good at being a social network. <laughs> we'll talk about the right-wing outrage uh, in defense of the Muppets uh, <laughs> and why that is completely uh, bullshit because the right actually hates the Muppets and have for a long time. Uh, we'll talk about what could be uh, the future of New York City, a future that would make me have to move there. It sounds amazing. Um, talk about zombies. We'll talk about the new postal trucks. And we will talk about a good old-fashioned American moral panic. Uh, kind of a pathetic one, uh, but it, we do have to talk about it because Chelsea is here. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. before we get to any of that, Chelsea, we like to ask our guest, uh, what is something from your search history that is revealing about who you are or what you're up to? Well, um, I hope you guys can relate to this because it'll be more fun. But my most recent interesting one is CKY videos. Do you guys remember CKY? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I have yes. CKY2K, the DVD, somewhere oh, in my garage right now. Bless you. Yeah. So we're working on an episode. Um, and in case people don't know, I host a oh, podcast yes. called American Hysteria. It covers moral panics, conspiracy theories, uh, urban legends, fantastical thinking, but through... Um, a lens of sort of cultural criticism and uh, sociology and stuff. So not do these things exist, but sort of how does our culture produce these and then how do they affect the culture? So anyway, the, <laughs> the way that CKY, um, which were a series of skate videos um, by the now famous Jackass crew, um, that's the most simple way to put it. But we're doing a episode about influencers right now and the culture of like branding people, essentially. Um and immediately I was like, what isn't like what's an earlier influencer like pre-internet? And I was like, oh, it's sponsored skating. And you guys probably remember like how cool it was to be a sponsored skater in like the late 90s. Oh, early hell 2000s. yeah. That was, like, was like that was the, the Twitter verified check mark. It was but, like, the, but yeah. it opened way more doors. It was in the, the valley. Top. At least. Yeah, it was like. Right. And, you know, there weren't that many for a while. And then um, the kind of like influencer, micro influencer thing happened. And so I've just been really diving into the the history of marketing skateboarding and the idea of like 
authenticity being so important in branding and uh, how there was like kind of like back then there was nothing as authentic as being just like a fucking skateboarder, you know, because right. it was just middle fingers and weed. And uh, it was and shoes that would hide your weed. Yeah, just the <laughs> biggest shoes. <laughs> yeah. It's basically like the platform shoe of the masculine world. The bro um, platform. Yeah, the, the bro platform. But so that that's kind of revealing about at least what I've been doing. And so I've just gotten to go back and I was a I was a skater um, in my day. And just to kind of go back and, and remember just like pushing, like having someone push someone in a shopping cart and launching them into a bush and just like pranks at the mall and... Uh, how skate culture and prank culture kind of has led us to a really different thing. But if you think about like the YouTube TikTok houses, like these sponsored skaters were just getting like hauled around the country and just being showered with cash, like 10 grand a month. And and just, I don't know, it's it's so similar to these weird McMansions full of TikTokers, you know, it's just Just like with their wranglers. Kids to love for Yeah. And that's kind of what it was. It was like crank out videos, crank out like the most incendiary. I mean, I was like, oh my God, the nineties were so bad. (laughs) (laughs) People cannot imagine. And you know, it's not like I was perfect in 1999. So it's just sort of like a really it's been just a, a really fun and fascinating dive back into this really um, offensive masculine culture that kind of is mirrored in like what, like Logan Paul, I would say is like some kind of a continuation of, of jackass and, and skate pranks. But that's been, uh, that's my big uh, fun time lately is just watching old skate videos. The CKY videos definitely had like a panic in like the Christian Catholic mother set, you know, because there was like the there was like pentagram iconography and some of the stuff and it stood for camp kill yourself. Yeah. And right. like on top of it, it was giving every idiot teenager like the idea to break their wrists at a local parking lot <laughs> in a shopping right. cart that you pushed right. off a loading dock with no sense of what gravity is. No. Um so like yeah, I remember people being like, "Oh, like uh, like a CKY team was like, oh, you have that? Like, oh, that's sick. Like, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, CKY 2K, I, I still I still have that shit somewhere. Shit Go back and watch up. it. Go yeah, because I was like, yeah, yo, Mike Valelli beats up three dudes in it outside of 7-Eleven in this one. And yeah. people were like, what? Because like, it almost, it <laughs> yeah. was like a U- it was like YouTube on a mixtape. Right. Yes, you got that's skating. Exactly right. You got skating, you got pranks, pranks, maybe some weird toxic masculinity in the form of like misogynistic tropes or whatever, okay. like dick jokes uh, and fighting. And gay and like, jokes, lots yeah, of exactly, gay jokes, exactly, lots of, of racism, oh. <laughs> like stuff right. that you're like, oh my God, like right. the stuff and they then, used to put on the boards even, like print on ooh. boards was just like. Oh yeah, I remember there was like a Chico Benez deck that was like of a like a dude selling like oranges like at an off ramp or something out of a shopping cart and people were like, Oh, it's the sickest deck right now. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a really different it was a shock, it was a really big shock culture time for sure. We don't have absolutely well we have that, but it's just transformed (laughs) a lot. So it was named after a band, I guess, and one of the the drummer for the band was Jesse Margera who is yeah. i guess Bam Margera's older brother so it's a, it also has that like sort of how a scene develops in like a small town sort oh, of yeah. vibe to it right it's like, 
And then suddenly, like, Johnny Knoxville's shooting himself in the chest point-blank range. Like, I just right. watched a video of Johnny Knoxville just <laughs> just shooting himself in the chest. And he's like, yeah, I didn't know, like, this is the cheapest uh, bulletproof vest I could find. And he's just like, what the fuck? What were we watching? Yeah. And <laughs> those guys, like, Johnny Knoxville was already part of that scene, like, from the start? Or did he kind of jump on it once it... He Miles, wasn't part of the CKY. He, he came no. like CKY was its own thing, and then it started got it blended. I don't know through got who, yeah, but yeah. yeah, that's when I'm. I don't know if that's when Spike Jones decided Spike to like, marry the two yeah. groups together to make Jackass. But I know Spike Jones was the next. He was level involved for in it. Yeah, yeah, he was like really responsible for like weaving in skate culture into like music videos, like Beastie Boys, and all kinds of like. You know, everything he was doing, commercials and stuff, just like weaving in skateboarding until it became this like really common trend and it reached Zoomies, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Authenticity is so important and and yet like they just pulled that in and made it inauthentic. Yeah, now uh, we're posers. Yeah, Yeah. so uh, Robert Evans on a recent episode of... uh, bastards with jamie loftus about the manosphere uh and that sort of toxic masculinity sort of like the the alpha and now there's a sigma male and all that shit it's a really good episode uh Um, but they there's a theory they talk about that capitalism is basically a really smart um ai that has like basically reached the singularity because uh it just immediately incorporates and like always makes the right like move to counter whatever attacks it and like incorporates it into into its uh grid or you know logic basically which makes a lot of sense well and you know it was i mean we'll talk we have we're covering this in our episode coming up but it's uh a lot of influencer marketing as we know it was actually designed by freud's nephew and uh it's yeah. very, yeah, I don't know if you guys know about him, Edward Bernays, but it's, we're going to get into that. And it's just really Freudian, like the way that advertising evolved is super right. entwined with psychotherapy, which is just so creepy. Right, because right. consumer culture, it insists on having unhappy people for it to thrive. Like if mm-hmm. you're fully realized and self-actualized, you might not need to reach for these products to be like this constant spend cycle of the advertiser dangling the thing and the lifestyle they think you want and say, if you buy this, then you could be this. And I think that's the other part is like, it also benefits, you know, uh, this consumer culture capitalism to have as many unhappy people as well, because, you know, happy people don't buy as much crap. Yeah. And then the unhappy people create great art that they can then uh, incorporate into the capitalist uh, slipstream. Um, Right. Yeah. It's a it's a great system they've designed, uh, or that's designed. It's effective. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it certainly works. The other Uh, wild thing, just some a lot of people don't know this about Spike Jones. You know, I don't know if you heard of the Spiegel catalog. He's a he is an he Mm -hmm. comes from this. His name is Sam Spiegel, or whatever Spiegel. Um, and he changed it to Jones because it was like a very very famous mail order catalog that was like you know huge in like the early twentieth century. So you know, gotta gotta change the name around so they don't know you. You know, you a rich boy, Spike. Right. Wow, that's cool. I didn't know that. And isn't he with Sofia Coppola? It's like, oh, it's all wonderful. I love it. I love it. He was his, he was, his character he was. Uh, Giovanni Ravisi in uh, Lost in Translation is his character. 
uh, real name based Adam on him. Spiegel. Yeah, but that's interesting that like he's been part of a marketing dynasty because I didn't know that. I'm gonna have yeah. to weave that in. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> it's all uh, nepotism and marketing, the two Absolutely. defining forces of America. Yeah. Um, let's take a quick break, uh, and we'll be right back to get your overrated and underrated. And we're back. And Chelsea, we like to ask our guests, as you know, what is something that you think is underrated? I'm not going to expand on this much because I have much more to say about the next question, but I'm very into hacky sack again. Um, And it's and I mean, I think, you know what? It's like been brought up because of watching all these skate videos. I think and my friend got me a hacky sack. And uh, that was something I used to do a lot in middle and high school. Um, And uh, we actually I did want to tell you guys this. We snuck through. We had a club called the Hack Club. And of course, we smoked a lot of weed. And so we uh, made these shirts that said um, the Hack Club, but it said THC really big. Um, And then it said Shorewood's Finest, fire it up. And it snuck through. Somehow the administration didn't figure it out until it was too late and we had proliferated these sweatshirts oh, all over it. the school. It was really cool. So hacky sack is my uh, one of my truest passions and people think it's so stupid. And I don't know why. I think it's super cool. Mm. <laughs> uh, and what is something you think is overrated? Well, this is this goes back to what we were talking about before, but um Brand activism (laughs) um, is (laughs) Ah. something I've been thinking about a lot. And, you know, part of our episode focuses on the Kendall Jenner Pepsi scandal um, that we all remember, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But it got me thinking as I'm watching all of this stuff unfold on Twitter. And for people who don't know, uh, I I am non-binary. I use they, them pronouns. And so this week's been real fun. For me. Um, So but, you know, it's it's like watching um, watching things happen like uh, the potato folks now who are not uh, gendered. um, And, you know, that that whole thing of like, oh, wow. Like, I mean, a lot of people were pissed off and thought it was, you know, super stupid and everything. But I think, you know, it's nice. It's nice. You know, but for me, it doesn't feel (laughs) authentic necessarily and i know that uh 64 this is really important i think 64 percent of millennials and this is you know polls are weird but this is sort of what companies are banking on is this particular study that says 64 percent of millennials will buy from brands that their values align right so it's like there's a huge amount of money in in being a part of movements the way Pepsi tried to sort of exploit the Black Lives Matter protests and everything. Um, And I think what's so interesting is like, I didn't ask for the potato heads to not have genders. I mean, (laughs) what they're they're one potatoes Two, you can switch their parts already. So you can put you can put the high heels on with the little bowler hat. It doesn't matter. But like, I don't I don't think there was like an outcry from trans and non-binary people to do away with the genders of the potatoes um and yet now all of the hate is like falling back on like as if we demanded this and as sure, if we're right. being totally unreasonable so it's this like like they get to look good and then we get to like 
carry the brunt, as ridiculous as that may be, from whomever decides to think that that's a horrible or ridiculous or, you know, the left is going too far again thing. But it's like the left, did did, did we demand that or was that just an opportunity that they saw to market to us? I think it's just it's open for attacks from the right and the, you know, the culture war context, because if you're progressive and you are actually caring about these things, you will say like, Oh, that's a little that's regressive or that's aggressive to have this thing just sort of delineated as a binary or whatever, mm-hmm. considering that progressive people say and on generally be like gender is a construct. Is everybody still with me? OK, so then therefore, let's look at these things. But I think because they know that to be part of like progressive culture, mm-hmm. that it's like, of course, they wanted this because everything is going to it's like, look. There's a difference between like, yeah, like talking about things on how to move forward and trying to paint someone as like a, you know, maybe there was someone who had a campaign against the potato heads. But I there's certainly larger battles for me to pick than than one of the fucking Hasbro. And also a lot of trans people use Mr. or Mrs. Like it's not it's such a strange. Yeah, it's just. And I mean, obviously, potatoes also don't inherently have genders i think that they're like self whatever i don't know science isn't my thing self tubing yeah there you go but uh you know and of course like (laughs) another important thing is like i'm speaking for myself i'm sure that there's lots of queer you know gender non-conforming people that think that that's wonderful and it is i mean it's great but what's great about it is not hasbro or whatever the company is it's it's the fact that they're reflecting back to us our own culture through an unfortunate medium, but nonetheless, we can say, okay, like, this is the direction culture's going, even if it's messy and stupid and shitty and embarrassing right. and launches us into, like, the spotlight. I mean, we're going to talk about the Muppets, and it's kind of, a you know, it's, it's like a similar type of thing. But, yeah, yeah I think brand activism is, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's overrated because a lot of, I think— more progressive sort of centrist might might see that and think that that's just it's just so wonderful you know where whereas i'm seeing tweets that are just horrible about you know and then oreos tweets you know trans people exist and it's like oh okay thank you oreo yeah um, you know, <laughs> right? It's like Nabisco. What's your policy in terms of your employees if they needed life affirming gender reassignment yeah. surgery? Do you do you kick in on that? That's right. that's it. You know, they're and like no, the, there's no there's yeah. no paid leave or anything like that. But the no. Oreo, well, here that's the difference. That wasn't Nabisco saying that. That was the cookie talking. Right. Yeah, You're gonna have to take exactly. that up with the cookie, and I don't think the cookie has benefits or HR, so I don't know. I I feel like the it's interesting to view the potato head thing on a continuum with the pepsi ad because i feel like the pepsi ad was an example of the brand trying to appeal to uh people who have progressive politics and it just like failed miserably because they first of all it was just poor like horribly handled but also uh it's just a more subtle thing to do that whereas the I, I do wonder, like, I, I would love to see a marketing material leak like they had with the logo design for Pepsi, where they were just like hosed for $20 million by people who were just like throwing out. Uh, who knew how to use Photoshop? Yeah, who knew how to use Photoshop? But I wonder if this is part of the calculus at this point that because the right is just so reliable in its outrage and you know exactly what is going to happen 
when you do something that is even remotely progressive in any way that the right is going there's going to be an outrage uh that is incredibly reliable and that automatically pits you against so it it's like a safer bet to do something that's designed to outrage the right and be yeah. safe as opposed to like trying to do whatever the fuck the pepsi ad was trying to do yeah i think there is or it's like it's just genius troll marketing it's like right. we'll watch but nobody give a fuck about potato head we're gonna do this thing it's gonna outrage the right every news outlet's gonna cover it and mm. without paying now even people have heard whoa hasbro's on the right side of the woke wars yeah and that's all they had to do was just piss off the right um and that's that seems that also seems very like a very feasible marketing plan to save yeah. money on on your ad bucks because uh, you see it done with other stuff too like I mean it's n normally just like some sensational product they use to get blocks to be like oh my god a log that smells like beef but like <laughs> with this shit they can get everywhere like just past the toy blogs or food blogs by making by right. entering the culture wars and be like and we're right. And honestly, the people on the right, they just talk shit. What, I still see them drinking Krug and wearing Nike. So <laughs> it's really wanna, just noise. Yeah, I want I want somebody from the marketing world, uh, if anybody, if any Zeitgang works in marketing and knows, like I bet there's a term for this, whatever is like basically right-wing troll baiting. Or, but... it's, and it's going to be so euphemistic, right? Oh, yeah. It'll be like yeah, yeah, yeah. organic... Societal <laughs> reconciliation strategies, right, or something. Exactly. <laughs> so brutal. Oh, uh, all right. Let's get into uh, some news. America is. I mean, we've talked about double standards all over the place, but Miles, you you had kind of written up a couple places where you're seeing America's double face all over the place. It's just a, yeah, if it's not if it ain't double face, it doesn't belong in your face or whatever the Carl's Jr. thing is. But <laughs> it's just this whole <sighs> okay. Like I'm, you know, like everything. If you're an aware person who's progressive, you'll find someone to be so outraged in this country without without even trying. Um, the first thing was a. I was just reading this thing about how these Proud Boys. They're being arrested. Uh, some of them are, are going to be on conspiracy charges, which carry just really lengthy sentences. And reading some of the actual descriptions of the people that were charged, um, you know, one guy was roaming, was prowling around with a fucking axe handle and like threatening to take out police. OK, right. and this guy didn't get shot. He got in people's phases. You see him in video. Um, nothing happened. It wasn't. You know, the only person that there's only one person shot and killed by police, like sort of in like the main sort of melee of it. And the quote unquote security around the Capitol look more like, you know, frosh orientation at a university. <laughs> you know, it right. wasn't like a welcome wagon exactly, but it wasn't really like, yo, who are you? What's going on? Who are you? What the fuck are you doing here? So then cut to the George Floyd trial is about to kick off in Minnesota. They have already barricaded the courthouse and shut down the street where the court is for a trial that starts in one week. In one week, they're about to start the trial and they have already fortified the place of fuckery because they know they're wrong. You know what right. I mean? And the visuals of something like you can get a lot of intel that. Or the, watch the news that these people are going to storm the Capitol. You could prepare because, eh, whatever, you know, because it's white supremacy. We'll let it rock, whatever. 
something like this, people outraged because of an injustice that's being committed. And now you're like, get the fucking steel wire out, the tanks, everything. Call the, you know, call uh, Goku from Dragon Ball so he can fucking handle these people. I don't know what, like, it's so next level. So that was just like the first thing that was really jarring to see is just sort of this, the duality of like two situations where municipal buildings are protected or not protected and like what the outcomes are possible, like, or are possible. And the other thing that came out of the Minneapolis thing is the city was going to hire social media influencers during the George Floyd trial to reach out to communities of color with city approved messaging to talk about the case. And people were like, what the fuck is that? They said last Friday, uh, the council unanimously approved a public and safety communication plan tied to the upcoming trials, which paid $2,000 per person uh, to six influencers in the city's black, Hmong, Latino, Native American, and Somali communities. They scrapped that because everyone was like, what the fuck are you talking about? They said it was just to like get information into the communities. Either way, city-funded messaging around one of the most significant trials around racial injustice being right. pumped into communities is deeply problematic. So good for them for figuring that out. These are people who are probably going to be covering the story anyway. So by adding a paycheck to it and like it being the official city, like, you know, like the unofficial on official happening? city approved messaging. Right. Uh, it just feels like. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. Is... Like, can you imagine? It's like, y'all, is Derek Chauvin invited to the cookout? Like, <laughs> no. Get the right. fuck out of here. Like, and that's the kind of insidious shit that I can just, you know, not that it's going to be that fucked up, but. In a way, just as offensive. Um, the next one is just about how Biden is handling Saudi Arabia, specifically mm -hmm. Mohammed bin Salman. Okay, we were t we were talking about an American national, Jamal Khashoggi, was cut up and tortured, murdered on the OK of Mohammed bin Salman. Trump just like let it rock, and we're like, of course he's going to let it rock. But at the same time, I think we d we can't really trick ourselves too much because. The U.S. and Saudi Arabia, like, it's, I don't know when there's going to be any kind of reckoning of this relationship. That clearly did some damage. But, you know, when you look at what Biden was saying and doing, for example, on we talked about this strike in Syria against Iranian-backed uh, facilities and what was going on there. But there's this need to try and get the nuclear deal done, to try and have Iran come back to the table. They're already being crippled with sanctions, but they're saying... Uh, release the sanctions as a, you know, a show of goodwill. And then we can begin negotiating because right now you're just killing us and then just demanding more. And so you have to kind of see from our standpoint, too. It's like, well, if this is going to be a fight to the death, then we'll fucking knuckle up. Like, that's just yeah. how human nature works. Sanctions um, are violent. Sanctions are like 100 percent to death. And, yeah. I mean, and a lack of resources uh, getting to people that need it. So Mohammed bin Salman kills an American. Joe Biden calls it Mohammed bin Salman's dad, the king first to mm. be like, so here's the thing, you know, we're going to make it hot, I think, but we're not going to do anything. And you're just seeing a, the way two things are being handled, right? Because on one side, I get there. There's a lot to, to, to talk about and parse through with the United States Saudi relationship as it relates to petrodollars, how they helped us. Uh, make keep the dollar as like the standard when it talks when we're talking about trading petroleum because that's a huge issue too. On top of being a strategic ally on the region, but the whole thing, whether it's white supremacy or autocratic regimes like the United States, it's like they're so inconsistent, and mm -hmm. we ignore the bullshit. Depending on like if it's white supremacy, the U.S. is going to handle it 
we have to go down the checklist. What do the people who are perpetrating look like? And what do the victims look like? If it comes to autocrats with a penchant for human rights violations, it's like, well, how much are they spending on arms with us? What can they do for us? And also, what do the victims look like? Because I think one thing is for certain that if the victims are anonymous or faceless and don't look camera ready, they can die in droves and the needle won't move in this country. And that's the same thing with unarmed people of color being killed by police or maybe the people that are being killed in Yemen by Saudi Arabia. There's just this whole thing of like, well, you know, it's not it's not a it's not because see, Jamal Khashoggi was in part of an elite class, so had connections to it. So that already changes the game because at the end of the day. You know, the United States will always there, there's not it's it's hard to say it's always moving consistently in one direction on an issue unless it's taxes. That's the only thing I could really think of. On the other hand, uh, nobody likes to have their parents called by the teacher. That's always scary. Yeah. Uh, so MBS must have been really nervous uh, when he heard that phone call was happening. Um, that's <laughs> right, just locked so up more of his cousins or something. Right. But yeah, just the handling of, you know. The other thing is Joe Biden called Saudi Arabia a pariah state yeah. when he was running for He's office. Really, where's that energy, Joe? Hmm. Hmm. But where's at the, the end of the day, the, yeah. I don't. But at the same time, name a single U.S. president that really fucking puffed their chest up at Saudi Arabia, right? You know, it's it's a whole other thing. And you know, and our relationship to Iran was similar, but shit changed because when the when the Shah, uh, you know, was fell out of power. And now we had someone in like anti-American, theo- the- like a theocratic class move into power. Then that immediately shifted the relationship. And I think that's the thing that the Biden administration says out loud. Well, we don't want to sanction. We don't want to get too hot because we need them there. Because then if they ter- totally turn anti-America, then it's going to be some kind of a very similar thing that's played out with other quote unquote allies in the region. Right. Put it simply, you know, the, uh, the U.S. has three, op- like not many options when it comes to Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia. They either go, they say, OK, we're done. Here's sanctions. That is going to completely push them away. And mm-hmm. now you have a country that used to be this place that you could launch all your scary war machines from to scare the other people in the region from. That's gone. And then you turn that into an enemy. The other is just to do what has been happening, which is to just look the other way and be like, well, thanks for the half-assed collaboration on some like anti-terror stuff mm-hmm. we do. And then also, I mean, think about it, like they didn't say anything after 9/11. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. And it's yeah. just like if you just, just look at the you. 21st century history of that relationship, it's pretty pretty wild. It's the same thing like when it comes to those strategic allies and just these partners we have, it's the same thing like in Israel in 2010, an American national was there was, was died of a sum as the UN called it a summary execution yep. for being part of a flotilla to help uh like refugees. But mm. again, that didn't I don't think there's a single person unless you're really interested in this area of of like the world that would that would have heard that in the US because that's the other mm-hmm. part because it's all like and the other thing it's all tied to capital. So it's all fucked up. Right. Um, well, speaking of all fucked up, uh, CPAC <laughs> happened last weekend. Uh, Trump had his if his uh, going on on the phone on Fox News for a whole evening talking about the legacy of Rush Limbaugh uh, didn't count as his official coming out, coming back into the media spotlight. This certainly did. He had the keynote or like the final climactic speech at CPAC. And, you know, the next morning, Monday morning, barely on the front page of Fox News or Drudge. I don't know. It, like, 
I think part of the problem for him is that he doesn't have any new messaging. Like, because personally, <laughs> like he can't, right. he can't move on from losing the election, and that he can't a, move on from Hillary. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and also the, not having Twitter. Yeah, you know, just ama- just night and day after yeah, that one, mo- like one action that also could have happened a really long time ago, but that's neither um, here nor there. And I think it's like there there does seem to be a movement on in terms of like people he got a, he's still at 97% job approval with the attendees of CPAC but only 68% said they want him to run again in 2024 even though he basically announced he was going to uh during his speech and also announced that he's staying with the Republican party but I just don't think I think there's some movement in this like as it becomes more and more of an accepted reality that he lost uh, and you can't really there's no evidence that there was cheating. Like even now, like Newsmax right. can't even say that uh, the voting machines were, were rigged. Yeah. So it's like I just think he's playing a weaker and weaker hand as as long as he stays on this current note, which I don't know if his uh, sucking like hole where his you know, sense of self goes, uh, is going to allow him to move on from an L like that. So I wonder just, if they have some kind of agreement, you know, for him to say I'm staying with the party sounds oh, like yeah. something I would have negotiated if I was the RNC. Oh yeah. Or the, you know what I mean? And like what the terms of that is, which is okay. We'll continue to try and fucking protect you. Um, but like, just stop saying wild shit because the other thing too, is like out of CPAC, there were a few different, you know, like Rick Scott, who I was surprised the Senator of Florida, he was like, Biden won fair and square. Uh, just so we know, just, yeah. I'm just going to say that out loud here at CPAC. But then there are other uh, Republican politicians too. were saying like, we're, we're past Trump. Like, yes, he's part of the Republican party, but the party can't anymore, no longer be about one person because that actually affects the ability of every other candidate to be elected. And I think maybe that's like the one thing they're taking from this. It's just like, just we got to allow the party to be amorphous enough that their first thing isn't it's whatever Donald Trump is, because that's their, uh, that's their, that's their brand issue at the moment. And of course there's like a lot of talk of splitting the party now, which feels like such a reality. It's so hard for me to imagine. I mean, a Trump ever winning again, but B just sort of like, and maybe I shouldn't say that because that's like some 2016 shit, but I don't know. It just feels like I don't I, I, I don't see a pathway to success. I mean, do you guys agree with that or do you think I'm being naive? I I think it's hard to see right now, but he's I think he's still the most dangerous candidate on mm-hmm. either side because he's got this massive base that is impervious to polling and facts. And mm-hmm. he's the he's now the default candidate who gets to benefit from the anyone but the guy in office uh, yeah. vote. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a scary world because he has such massive name recognition. Um, and all he has to do is like find new talking points. And like, I, I feel like we're at a very low tide moment right now because mm-hmm. he has been unable to move on from losing and everybody knows he lost. And so he just looks kind of ridiculous but to to again to only like 32 percent of the people at right CPAC, exactly but, yeah um yeah but 
Yeah, I don't know. You know, it, I I can, I will never say never when it no. comes to I, him and his political. And he's going to cause a lot more problems. You know, right. like there there's a lot more potential, I think, for violence and sort of like commanding different actions because it's like, you know, it's like cognitive dissonance. People are never going to give up. I mean, right. people do, but the hardcore ones, it would cause so much distress to try to change that stance after, you know, the last five years of their lives being dedicated to this charismatic leader. It's it's really, really hard. But that we saw him lose by so much. It would be really like you said, he'd have to revise talking points, but it would it would all hinge again on, like you said, like not Hillary or not Joe Biden. But I don't right. I just don't see it. Unless there's some bombshell. But, you know, Hillary was just so there's so much tied in with her. And Biden is just kind of like, you know, yeah, I think the one thing is CPAC, they definitely the masks are all gone now. Yeah, they're I'll all say. gone. <laughs> yeah, they have no masks anymore. <laughs> they're just design. Dude, the stage time is a fucking Nazi rune. Yeah, or one of those rune symbols that they right. There's no other explanation. Is there another? I just as I, I an American care. history it doesn't matter. person, it, no, it doesn't no. matter. Who, this is what how I'll many say. people it, did that pass through? Yeah, right. it doesn't. I'll say this: it doesn't matter what they intended or didn't, and if that was an accident, because rune Nazi stage or not, their their entire schedule and speaking events were filled with anti-democratic wannabe autocracy. Like, how do we fuck over our? Essentially, you distill it down to like. How do we win elections when we can't win elections or like how to rig elections? Because y'all, the clock is ticking. And if we're going to be a part of this, we're going to have to switch our entire system of governance in this country for us to be able to have a shot at ruling. So with that, Democrats really need to be like, oh, I saw that over the weekend, assholes. <laughs> right, and right. I'm not dealing with any of y'all. We're this Just so you know, if I mean, this is a quote unquote representative democracy. But if you have one party who's out there being like, oh, yeah, we're we're the we're here for not this. Like, we're actually here to try and nickel and dime the local constitutions and laws for it to be essentially this minority ruled autocracy or whatever. Who's president? You got to fucking deal with them like that rather than being like, oh, you know, I'm sure I'm together. It's just there. There's a lot. There's a lot going on on that side. It's like, no, dude, there. This is what it is. So now you have to actually address the threat properly. Yeah. The one messaging uh, that seemed to be consistent top to bottom uh, was the, like trying to fight back against mail in voting and uh, only right. sick people or people like it. You have to like go through all these steps to legally ma- uh, vote by mail, which, you know, obviously benefits uh, the Republican Party, yeah. um, and which is, is basically wild voter because, suppression. But they don't want people to jump through hoops to buy a gun. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's too much. That's too much. But if you vote, we all look, we can all agree. You need to be able bodied, uh, be able to walk, have a job that will let you off. Duh, 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 duh. Like, no, but that's how that's how so transparent this shit is. And I wish the like everyone who's responsible for like reporting it like on a massive scale and in a leadership level would be like, we have to really talk about what this is objectively and they can go and try and part like mince their words and shit. But like what we're looking at is this. This yeah. is what it is. There's a legacy of this. This is not yeah. new. This is it's been every voting has been an issue in every civil rights movement, even if it's like quiet. Right. It's been it's always been 
why wouldn't it be a focal point and why wouldn't it be something that is an obsession because right. it, it is the expression of the people which right. can be manipulated and has been since 1619 right and and before probably you know with with landowners and all that bullshit but like it's not i just don't think it's it's not surprising and it's just as everything is is just now quiet and insidious and and not quite so loud as it maybe was before but i don't know i feel like it's it is louder right yeah, because like I mean, you feel yeah. like the vote civil rights act in 64 like that helped white people be like okay we have to deracialize a lot of our racism because that right. didn't yeah. yes. work yes. you see what happened mm -hmm. we overplayed that hand and now they have more rights than we wanted them to have right and so that a lot of school choice shit and all this other stuff yeah. started coming out because they couldn't they had they had to uh, let go of those words They've now fully like it's like they're coming back around to it in like a very less elegant way where it's like the most charged dog whistle language that like at least school choice might confuse somebody. Right. right. You know what I mean? Because it like, sounds like freedom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the other shit that they're saying is so like on on its nose. You're like, are y'all even tr like, have you learned or you're just right. being like, this is now they've completely are like, no, we're just relying on our worst habits and instincts now. And that's yeah. all this. That's all it was, too. But now in a way that we don't even know how to finesse appearing in public. Yeah. I mean, dog whistling from a stage that looks like a Nazi rune. It's uh, not dog whistling, right? Is it it's it's kind of it's kind of hard. That's more dog dog. Uh, even with like school choice, like you said, that is such a dog whistle of tax exemption, like back to. And it's just so weird how we don't talk about the moral majority and the fact that mm -hmm. like abortion was a like a created manufactured period. Like it was a manufactured outrage. Evangelicals didn't care. In fact, right. they more supported it because they hated Catholics. But <laughs> it was like, you know, it was the tax exemption was they didn't want to desegregate their schools, but they didn't want to lose their tax exemption. So right. they were able to mobilize a conservative Christian vote for the first time in a really long time through abortion. But it was all hiding the fact that they wanted to not have to desegregate their schools. And this is in the 70s, 80s. And that's hidden. It's a hidden thing. And it's covered by school choice, tax exemption, uh, religious freedom, all these different right. things that we still hear. But that used to be an issue of segregation. And like Bob Jones University, you couldn't date interracially until the year 2000. And they still kept their tax exemption. They used Reagan to try to do it. I mean, this is like, it's not the same thing as voting, but it's like we're talking about. It's like right. these dog whistles have such history and you may not know it, but it still can like trigger these right. sort of like in, ingrained, this ingrained shit we all have. The Boston, the desegregation of Boston public schools and the just incredible amounts of rioting and violence and mm -hmm. just open... Uh, war in the streets that happened around that is one of those stories that everybody should go read if you haven't um, because it, it's like one of those ones where I, I heard it in my 30s and I was like that how like, nah. is this yes. one of the how is this not one like an entire section of US history but it's because it deals with race relations and they mm -hmm. like to yeah any anything that makes that issue at the forefront of U.S. history, they like to... It's just so uncomfortable. It just makes yeah. me so uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's take one more break and we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, and I want to talk about two uh, pop culture 
icons uh, that are being challenged by uh, Republicans and Democrats uh, yeah. on the, from the Republican side. Donald Trump Jr. is mad. He is T.O.'d, man. Uh, T.O.'d. The, <laughs> the, the Muppets have now, uh, this is a quote from him. The Muppets have now been canceled. <laughs> Apparently the Muppets have now been canceled. There's nothing these psychos won't destroy. Liberalism is a disease. Oy, oy. <laughs> that was a gagger. I just chopped up a gagger right there. Uh, <laughs> the, and then he reiterated that uh, over the weekend at CPAC. Um, this is all based around a disclaimer, brief disclaimer, uh, that has been added to the beginning of some of the episodes of The Muppet Show that was just uh, added to Disney+. Plus. Uh, because some of them have extremely racist puppet characters that are still in the show. <laughs> That's what he was talking about. They said, hey, y'all, we're, there's some wild ass racist puppets in here. We're sorry, just and so you know. And he's like, exactly hey, right. and that equals oh. cancellation somehow. That, that, ex- that exactly. Yeah. Oh. Like, but that's true. Awareness equals cancellation. Yeah. Awareness, accountability, because it's not cancel. It's accountability. That's what it is. It's and so it's black and to- white to them. It's like you, something's either good or bad, period. Right. So it's like if, if there's a critique, then it's as if it is entirely bad versus right. just like, here's a bad thing. Here's, you know, the Muppets saying, mm, we're sorry about this. This isn't good, but it's still right. even on there, which whatever you can say about that. But I, you know, it's still they're giving sort of an acknowledgement and it's just whatever the guy's such Um, a fucking doink yeah but i mean it's across the board uh also sorry one episode features johnny cash performing in front of a giant confederate flag and they left that in there their disclaimer these stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now rather than remove this content we want to acknowledge its harmful impact learn from it and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. Um, Fox just uh, latched onto this non-story, using it as yet more evidence of cancel culture. One of the hosts on Fox and Friends said, I don't remember the Muppets ever being offensive. Here we are again with cancel culture. Uh, And in an interview with Tom Cotton, they asked him about it. (laughs) Because... Why ask a sitting U.S. senator a non-puppet-based question in the middle of a deadly <laughs> pandemic? Um, and the the amazing thing, our writer Jam points out that if anyone's been trying to cancel the Muppets, it's conservatives, like, for a long time. Uh, right. When their newest movie, uh, The Muppets, came out in 2011, Fox News aired the segment, Are Liberals Trying to Brainwash Your Kids Against Capitalism? Uh, because the villain of the Muppets was a sleazy oil executive, uh, creatively named Tex Richman. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the hosts of on Fox questioned why the filmmakers uh, couldn't simply have made the villain be someone from the Obama administration. And I quote, I just wish liberals could leave little kids alone. Why couldn't the Muppets have the evil person be the Obama administration? So. The entire Obama administration yeah, the in entire Muppets. Obama. <laughs> then in 2015, oh, uh, this was a real headline on Breitbart. Miss Piggy comes out as pro-abortion. This was because Miss Piggy was given an award for some reason. And when asked if she was pro-choice, she responded, I am pro-everything. Which, again, not really a progress. <laughs> like, it's yeah. 
It's uh That's that's the most both sidesy shit you could say, Miss Piggy. Yeah. And Oh, they, I'm with everybody. Everybody? Yeah. <laughs> uh but the one million moms I cannot uh, believe they still exist. I didn't know that. Yeah. They launched a boycott of the puppets ABC show, which was more adult oriented, but I mean, come on. Okay. Um so it's find it's not a even a angle. double standard. Yeah, find a new angle, asshole. Uh well, and you then, know that Sesame Street, obviously, we we did an episode called Children's Programming about public education, and Sesame Street was super Jim Henson, obviously, influenced, and it was just a bunch of radical people getting together to try to make uh, television specifically for children of color to see some reflection of their own experiences, and it was really radical, and there were things called, like, hidden curriculum. Like, there were black psychologists working on this show to sort of just right. give, like— just a a little bit back to 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 children who weren't white and uh it was huge it was outrageous i mean it, there was the pushback was enormous it was banned in different states literally because they said things like mississippi's not ready for this diverse of a cast so it's like i know it's not the muppets but it's muppet adjacent, adjacent it? so it's yeah. just like yeah it's just uh the muppets jim henson was always I mean, he's a hippie, you know, he was yeah. always and, you know, he's always been kind of an anti-capitalist and, and anti whatever uh, pro everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not pro everything. everything. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Hold on, Piggy. Don't say that. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, and finally, uh, while we have you, Chelsea, I do want to mm-hmm. talk about this yes. latest video game, Panic, which Seems like it's a headline from 10 years before uh, this show started. Um, But an Illinois Democrat wants to fight crime with a video game ban. Uh, Which video game, you may ask? Grand Theft Auto, of course. Okay, did Grand Theft Auto come back in some way? Like, did it become mobile? So it's just literally from... However many years ago, the last we had the same fucking Grand Theft Auto game over like three consoles now. Yeah, PS3, PS4, and that shit's on PS5. I'm sick of. I don't even look at that motherfucker anymore. I don't know. I've shot down a lot of helicopters with a lot of. I mean, who uh, rocket launchers? Yeah, and I get on the train. I haven't done that yet. And you get on the train, and they can't catch you because you're on the train tracks, yeah. and the AI and the cops is stupid, so they never, they can never touch you. I get yeah, it. Yeah, and you can like bar but, yourself in a store and wait yeah. for the five What's, stars to hit you. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then you're out. <laughs> What's the done. logic though of what? Why is this person in the year of our Lord 2013 now thinking like we gotta get? We, hold on. Have you guys seen Grand Theft Auto? There's been what a is, rise in car theft and oh carjacking over the last mm. uh, year. Which uh, Fuck literally nobody is surprised by because the economy has completely shit the bed and also everybody's wearing masks around. People are like, yeah, of course it's like we're going to see that. Yeah. We could have told you that. way up everywhere. Yeah. So this is out of Illinois where uh, Colonel David Byrd of the Illinois State Police uh, blamed it on uh, there's a social media aspect of it. Uh, he said kids steal cars and evade police in order to impress their friends. Presumably there was like a single instance of that that made the local news. Uh, And then one of their local politicians said, this carjacking is something out of a video game. And that was all he needed to try and propose this bill. It would include a $1,000 fine for those who sell or rent these games. 
Uh, again, Holy proving shit. that it was designed in 2008. <laughs> you can rent these games. Right. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, man. I'll, I'll big... shut down this blockbuster, I tell you. Yeah. The Moral uh, Panic is such a bipartisan event, you know? Yeah. Like, it's oh, so bi- And it's so many times, like, Democrats and Republicans, it'll be, like, the one thing that they unite over is some kind of moral panic. And uh, it's like Columbine. This happened during Columbine, all the shooting video games. And, uh, I mean, it's happened every time. Every time. Every because time always... anything bad happens, it's because it's the yeah. teens. One, you can blame the teens and then you can blame this thing that actually has nothing to do with it. So then you don't have to deal with systemic issues. You can yeah. just point to this fucking dumbass thing that's more fun to blame. That's for sure. You know, it's like so yeah. much more cinematic then, than than systemic yeah. poverty and, and parents all are, the different things. Parents who are a big part of your uh, audience or voter base uh, are already inherently suspicious of their kids. So, you <laughs> know, perfect. I've met enough parents or like, you know, not enough parents growing up who are like just are dying for this sort of shit yeah, to it exist. These moral panics are half born out of a you don't you actually don't want to address the real issue yes. of, of a given thing. And the other one is you're so out of touch that you just connected the first dot and you're like, yeah, that's what it was. It's this mm-hmm. game. So you're saying there's a lot of crimes of Grand Theft Auto that we're experiencing? A lot of charges of Grand Theft Auto? Yeah. Oh, my God. Karen, um, get in here. There's a game <laughs> called Grand Theft Auto. That's what we have to go after. The last big Grand Theft Auto release was 2013. Um, they did see an uptick uptick of sales during the pandemic, uh, but they sold far more games in previous years in which there yeah. was not a surge in carjacking. So there is also a case that's being made that uh, this is predominantly like young people doing the car theft and carjacking, uh, except it's completely based on just once again, pr- proof that uh, the people interpreting uh, crime statistics shouldn't be the police because they do the the worst job of it. Um, right. So the cops uh, painted this picture of roving juvenile gangs uh, Instagramming their joy rides, but of the, 1,416 carjackings that were reported in Chicago, only 188 people were arrested. Uh, 106 of them were kids. So if you're taking that as a overall sample of all 1,500 carjackings, uh, you would have some evidence. But it could be that kids aren't as good at car theft and are more likely to post it on social media maybe yeah. uh then and this is like a first time you yes know, yeah they're just getting popped the first time yeah you know right I mean? then you learn after that one but like the idea too of just trying to be like they're doing it to be on instagram like these are crimes of swag not crimes yes. of survival <laughs> yes yeah, no exactly. nobody steals a fucking car for the thrill. I mean, I guess maybe they just watch New Jersey Drive or that movie from the right. 90s or some shit. But like there's you do it because you need to make money. And that's yeah. how you're going to make money because you're for many people, your only financial recourse is extra legal activity. Right. Because there are no there's no way for you to survive anymore. But let's not talk about what the options are for these people. Let's say these teens are throwing on a filter to look like a little kitty cat. And then taking your Tesla, it's just, it's out of control. To your point, Miles, uh, another thing besides uh, Grand Theft Auto sales uh, that 
have gone up in the last year, which again, Grand Theft Auto sales ticked up a little bit, not uh, didn't sell as many copies as previous years. Uh, on the other hand, unemployment in Illinois has gone up by a whopping 675%. Uh, and Illinois' unemployment offices have been closed for the entire year, meaning people who lack access to online services or run into technical problems are pretty much fucked. Um, so, yeah. Ugh, yeah it's see, just all to avoid a real fucking problem. Yep. And... I mean, the racial dynamics aside of this story, like it's it's so simple. I mean, like you you don't need to be a fucking detective to be like, wait, people st usually people steal because you don't have. Oh, there's an uptake uptick in people who don't have. That's probably what it is. And also Grand Theft Auto. Trust me, the people who bought that it's motherfuckers like me who got suckered into buying it for the fucking third time. It's not new people getting into <laughs> right. Grand Theft Auto. It's like, fuck, I don't have it on this console. I guess I got to give Rockstar more fucking money for this game. That's I I mean, I would love to see the statistic on the number of newcomers to GTA 5 uh, in those numbers. But that's more of a gamer statistic I would like to see. Yeah. And this is exactly what happened with uh, with as I mentioned, like Columbine and in the school shootings into this last decade is the exact same thing. It was the shooting video games and that was, you know, so we didn't have to deal with guns. And that was Democrats and Republicans. It's just this way to have a flashy, you know, sleight of hand. I, I think of it as a sleight of hand. And I don't know yeah. how intentional it is or how much these people are just, you know, fucking stupid and totally out of touch, like you said, and how much of it could be. Not a, I don't want to say a conspiracy, but, you know, I think there's something to that. And especially when you're trying to get reelected, your platform's going to be a lot more flashy and interesting to people right. if the story is, you know, the teens aren't all right versus we have massive unemployment and poverty. It, right. It's not. I'm surprised Republicans didn't blame the uprisings on NBA 2K. <laughs> <laughs> like with that, by that logic, what the fuck yeah. are you talking about? Like, look at the problem. Also, at like, you know, it's because we have too many of these assholes who are not there to actually change outcomes for people. They're just there to win office and stay in office, and that's it. That's it. Yeah. I mean, this is an example of somebody being bad at uh, so doing bad. the, like, politically, you know, shrewd and uh, calculating thing. Uh, and But I, I think there's plenty of examples that we're not talking about because they don't necessarily cross our radar in such a... Don't, like, splat against our radar the way this one would... Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's this seems to be a good uh, indicator of what the underlying logic is in in Congress. Um, Definitely. Chelsea, uh, it has been such a pleasure having you as always. Yeah. Uh, I love being on. Thank you, guys. It's so much fun. Where can people find you and follow you? Uh, well, you can go and listen to our show, American Hysteria, on pretty much any podcast app, or you can follow us at Amer Hysteria on Twitter or uh, American Hysteria Podcast on Instagram. And is there a tweet or some of the work of social media you've been enjoying? Well, you know, I kind of buried the lead, but I think just for me it was Oreos. Uh, trans people <laughs> exist. <laughs> I just I just want to say thank you. When was that? <laughs> so brave. Um, God, a few days ago. Oh. I don't know. It was like during the potato folks coming yeah. out as tra as trans. Um, <laughs> right. But that's that, that's just been a memorable memorable one for me. Mm. Uh, yeah, I remember that. I think that was right after their tweet about Fred Hampton Jr. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, can you imagine, though? Why is it that when they connect poor people of color and poor white people, outcomes change for these civil rights leaders? Anyway, get the new double-stuffed Oreos. Mm. Yeah, that's that's something people do not want anybody to know. (laughs) Yep. Which is odd, because, like, you could just be like, hi, every single... The people that got... Never mind. To every, the, the way the way we win is together. Mm. <laughs> our new our new uh, rainbow coalition Oreo, where you open it up and uh, it's a rainbow inside. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Just it's coming. Don't tell them Mark they're my listening. Words. <laughs> uh, Miles, where can people find you? What's a tweet you've been enjoying? Oh man, Twitter, Instagram, Miles of Gray. Also, other podcast, Four Twenty Day Fiance, where we're chatting ninety day. Uh, tweet I like since <laughs> from Reductors because it's just so absurd, but somehow like I, I, I it's resonating with me. Uh, it's a photo of like two two people talking. One person is just like sort of clearly listening to the other speak, but was sort of like a like vacant eyes. And the text reads, "How to pretend you were listening by answering Hey Macarena in a <laughs> neutral tone." <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Macarena. Hey, Hey, Macarena. Can you believe that shit, Jack? Hey, Macarena. Oh, okay, yeah. All right, I knew you. I knew you're on my side. Hey, Macarena. (laughs) I mean, hey, Macarena. (laughs) I I once uh, was caught by my friends way too late uh, after that song was no longer cool. Just very drunk on a dance floor doing the Macarena Uh, was not my proudest moment. Uh, hey, Macarena. Hey, Macarena, indeed. Hey, Macarena. You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. Uh, a couple tweets I've been enjoying. Aaron Chack tweeted, yeah, the moon is full. Full of shit. Um, there was a very nice full moon over the weekend. Uh, shout out to the moon. Um... And Mike Ginn tweeted, it would be crazy if every oncoming headlight you saw on the freeway was its own person with their own life, but thank God that's not the case. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes. We link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song uh, that we recommend you check out. Miles, what song uh, are people checking out today? Oh, they're gonna check out. Look, you need some. You need some good drumming. You want some Naya Bingi drumming. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you really fuck with the reggae sounds, get into that. But this track is called Lamb's Bread Kali, and it's Lamb's L A M B S Bread B R E A D Kali C O L L I E like Kali. Uh, and the, the artist is Cedric I'm Brooks and the Light of Saba. And it's just like, look, I, I, was, I was saying off mic, I got some musical equipment. I've been going through some old records and things, things I want to sample. I was really looking at this album's great because it's got a lot of deep grooves in it. Um, but this is for anybody who just, you know, needs a little heavy, heavy sound to start your week. This will help you. But also, you know, very enlightening. Mm. All right. Well, the Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That's going to do it for this morning. We are back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we'll talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Bye.